Please take your Bible and turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 9. We're going to read from the New American Standard Bible today. And as you follow along quietly, as you read from whatever Bible you have in hand today. 1 Corinthians, chapter 9, beginning with verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I may be, by all means be able to save some. And now, chapter 11, verse 1. Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. An American tourist was walking the beaches of the Baja Peninsula in Mexico several years ago, and he was startled by what he came across. The shore was strewn by stranded starfish. And he felt an immediate sense of shock thinking about the loss of this part of the animal population in the nearby sea. He looked down the beach and he noticed a figure in the distance. He noticed that the person was doing something. He didn't quite know what, so he kept walking toward that individual. And when he got close, he saw that this man was gently placing these stranded starfish back into the sea. He came up to the man, and this man from America had broken Spanish, and the Mexican native had broken English. They were able to communicate a little bit. And this is what the American said in a rather condescending way, I might add. What difference do you think your effort to return these creatures to the sea will make on them? They are so many, and you are just one. The man, without saying anything, immediately picked up one more starfish and gently returned it to the sea. And then he looked at the American and said, it made a difference to that one. According to the most recent data on our world's population, there are 7.7 billion people inhabiting the earth. Of those 7.7 billion, a conservative estimate would yield this piece of information. 2.2 billion of them have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. When we who have been given the commission by Christ to preach the gospel to all the nations, when we hear such staggering statistics, it leaves us overwhelmed at the size of the task. The place we must always turn for answers and perspective on any matter is to the person of Jesus Christ. He is the perfect one to consult about this matter of taking the gospel to all the people in all the world. Let me stop here a minute. I'm reading 
in Matthew 24. just finished it this morning in my Bible reading time. And it's the description of Jesus coming the second time. And He's talking about what things will be like. We know Jesus says in that 24th chapter of Matthew that when the Gospel has been preached to all the nations, then the Son of Man will come. And the word translated nations is not what we typically associate with a nation. It's the word ethnos from which our English word ethnic comes. All the tribes, all the ethnic groups in the world. There are still tiny pockets of people who have yet to hear the gospel. Not too many months ago, you may remember a young man, a missionary, who went to an island people off the coast of India. It staggered me when I heard it. I didn't think it would be possible. That close to the shore of India. And his life was taken by these people to whom he was carrying the gospel. They have yet to come to know Christ. And here was a man who was willing to give his life for that. I hope you know that the Bible says that we who know Jesus, this is in Romans chapter 16, we will soon crush Satan under our feet. How is it that we will defeat the devil? This is how we will. We'll shod our feet with the gospel of peace. The gospel of Jesus Christ in its being shared with all peoples all over the world. When the last person in the last people group has an opportunity to hear the gospel, then the end will come. Many times, you probably have done this too, I'll say, I sure wish Jesus would come back. Do you ever say that? It's never in a good time, by the way. It's when I'm under some kind of stress in my life. I wish Jesus would come back. If I'm not participating with the Lord and looking for that one person that He might bring into my life in that given situation that day or that month, then I'm a hypocrite to say I wish Jesus would come back. Because we are to be part of the solution not part of the problem of delaying the return of Christ. Do you know why the devil works so hard to keep us from sharing Christ with other people? Because he knows that it staves off his judgment and his ultimate destiny to go to the lake of fire from which he will never escape. So, going back to Jesus and the one whom we should consult, is Jesus about this. He is the master of one-on-one. Have you ever thought about that? He is, in His own description, of this shepherd who has a hundred sheep, and he comes home and there's one missing, and what does that man do? He leaves the ninety-nine to go look for the one. And in that same context, in verse 11 of Matthew 18, he says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus' mission is to seek out those who are lost. And He does it one person at a time. And He's given us the charge through the Apostle Paul. What does Paul say? Be imitators of Me as I am an imitator of Christ. 
Paul was the guy who went after people one at a time. He says, we proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Jesus is interested in the individual. This is why His plan is so critically important if we're going to bring Him back to this world. To put an end of all the trouble we find ourselves surrounded by. To see Christ crowned King on earth as He is in heaven finally. As He establishes His kingdom here on earth. We need to know what His plan is. His plan is about reaching individuals. And the same plan He started out with almost 2,000 years ago is the plan He still intends for us to follow. Last year, two men who influenced my life in a very big way. Billy Graham, at 99 years of age, died and went to be with the Lord. I did meet Mr. Graham one time, had the privilege of saying hello to him, and he looked in my eyes, and we were in a line, so it was just kind of passing by, you know. And I saw the love of the Lord in that man's eyes. A man of God. Gone to be with the Lord. I'm sure he preached to more people the gospel of Jesus than any other person in the history of the Christian church. He's gone. R.C. Sproul, last month, marked a year of his departure. A great theologian. These men impacted me and undoubtedly many others. But may I tell you this? There have been men like them for 2,000 years and... The gospel has not reached every people group in the world yet. So, please, don't mishear what I'm saying. I hope you know how much I appreciate Dr. Graham and Dr. Sproul. I'm deeply indebted to the Lord and to them for what they have done in helping me to grow as a believer. But if it were left up to the evangelists and to the scholars and to the missionaries and to local church pastors like me, we would never reach the world. We haven't yet. Two millennia, we haven't. The devil has kept people who don't think they have a right or have the know-how or have the power to be part of this vast vanguard of people who are given the marching orders of Jesus to bring Him back by sharing the gospel Our own denomination has set a goal for this year to try to encourage every church and those churches who are led by pastors like me, encourage all the members to get a heart to ask the Lord, Lord, who is the one you want me to reach in 2019? Wouldn't that be great if we embraced that? We've had probably... I'd say 900 people worshiping with us this weekend, all three services included. Let's just say half of those people would say, I want to be part of that. Say 450 people did. And they embraced the challenge. Can you imagine what difference that would make in El Paso? Now let me stop here and make this observation as well. I can never make anybody believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. 
I have been guilty of trying to do that a lot in my life, but I've given up on it. Not because I'm discouraged, but because I realize Jesus is the one who saves people. He typically chooses people like you and me to be the agents of the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is that which changes people irrevocably. But we can't force anybody to be saved. We are just His heralds. We are the ones, I'm not talking about me now, I'm talking about you, really. People who make up the body of Christ, who know the Lord and love the Lord and have a relationship with Him. And He lives in them. What does Paul say when he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ? What does he say about himself? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That was true for Paul. That's true for you if you know Christ. If you know Jesus, He's taken up residence in your heart. And He wants to use you just as surely as He used the Apostle Paul to share the Gospel with other people. The power is in the Gospel. The power to change lives. One person at a time. When Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost, it's recorded there in Matthew 18. It's also found in Luke 19.10. And do you know what story that follows immediately? In fact, Jesus would have said what He said when He says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Right after a man named Zacchaeus, who was the chief tax collector in Jericho and that whole region, he had been changed by Jesus. He had been what we would call saved by Christ. And he had declared his testimony. Jesus had been on his way through Jericho en route to Jerusalem to face his demise. He saw this man Zacchaeus and he said, Zacchaeus, I got to come to your house today, so get down that tree and take me to your house. And he introduced himself to Zacchaeus and he was saved. I repeat, Jesus goes after people one at a time. And he uses people like you and me to do it. People who are really unable, as I've mentioned, to save anybody. Paul says, In this passage of Scripture, as we're going to see, he says, I want to win as many people as possible. I become all things to all people in order that I might save some. Paul knew he couldn't save anybody. Jesus saves people. Read what Paul says. What he was saying is, I can volunteer and trust the Lord to speak through me and share this message. Remember what he said when he came to the Corinthian church, this church to whom he writes this, about himself. He said, I did not come to you with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Remember what I was like. He says, I came with fear and trembling. He was shaking like a leaf when he came there. It was visible. And yet God used him in that deficiency. In the book of 2 Corinthians, in the 11th chapter, he talks about, if I'm going to boast about anything, I'm going to boast about my weakness, not about my strength. So he understood he had no power apart from the Lord 
in him. The strategy of the Lord, the same today as it was when he walked the face of the earth. The first couple of days of his public ministry, after his baptism, Jesus is hanging around where John the Baptist was still preaching. And John the Baptist had disciples before Jesus had disciples. And they were listening carefully to John the Baptist's message because he was talking about the coming Messiah. And they had been all of their lives, these two unnamed disciples to begin with of John the Baptist, they had been eagerly expecting the coming of Christ. They had cut their teeth on the teaching of the prophets that there was coming a Messiah. And they were eager to know Him. And then when John the Baptist says in their hearing twice in two days, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Two of them started following Jesus. Jesus, sensing that He was being followed, stops, turns around, and says, May I help you? And they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? To which... Jesus says, come and you will see. That's the message to us today. If you don't know Jesus, do you know what He's saying to you? Come and you will see. Spend some time with Me. And they followed Jesus. And undoubtedly, they came to know Jesus. They were born again, as it were, in that encounter. And the Scripture says, one of them was Andrew. They spent the night where Jesus was. One of the two, Andrew the brother of Simon Peter. And so the Scripture says the first thing he did, he went and found his own brother Peter and told him that he had found the Messiah. And so he brought him back to where Jesus was. And when Jesus saw him, he said this about Peter, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which translated means Peter. And we know the story of Peter. He was arguably the leading figure of the original twelve apostles. A very fiery individual and a man whom Christ used mightily after the resurrection from the dead. Well, the Bible says in that same section in John, remember, Jesus found Andrew. And what did Andrew do? Andrew went and found Peter. The next morning, Jesus gets up and he purposes to go forth in the Galilee, when he gets there, he finds a man named Philip. And Philip has this same experience that Peter had had the day before and Andrew had had the day before. And he came to faith. He became one of the apostles too. Andrew, Peter, Philip. Three of the apostles. And he goes and finds his friend Nathaniel. As far as we know, Nathaniel never was an apostle, but he became a disciple. Hey, there's a message for us there. How many apostles are in the room today? I'm looking here. How many? There's a lot of disciples in here, though. Because the word of choice of the Holy Spirit about what it means to be a Christian is disciple. A lifelong learner and follower of Jesus Christ. So, he found, does Jesus' method change? It doesn't change. We're looking for all kinds of neat methods to try to add people to our church and whatever. There is a simple method. Follow Christ and you will see who He is when you hang out with Jesus. Spend time with Him. That's His stated purpose 
to call a people to be His disciples in the first place. That they might be with Him and then preach the Gospel. Share the good news. The thing which equips us for being good carriers of the Gospel of Jesus Christ is that we spend time with Him. We get to know Him. And to know Him is to have eternal life, is what the Bible says. And therefore, we can be those who share the life of Christ with other people. Now, I would like to take the remaining time to talk about the qualities we must have to win another person to Christ. Just one. Who is your one? That's the question that I hope you leave here with today. Who might that person be? I have an idea about the person. I've got a leg up on you, perhaps, because I've been meeting with a man every week for the last two or three months. He is a seeker after the Lord. The Lord brought him into my sphere. I got to talk and I said, would you like to meet with me? And we can look at the Gospel of John. What we do, every Wednesday morning we meet for about an hour and we open the book of John and we're reading through the book of John. It's not rocket science. It's exposing him to Jesus. Come and you will see. It's what I've invited him to do. And that's exactly what we're doing. I'm fully expecting him to give his life to Jesus. I can see it. He's relaxing every time we're here. He's asking more questions. And he's going to meet the Lord. Here's what the Scripture says in these verses in 1 Corinthians 9, 19-22. I'm going to mention three qualities. There probably are many more. By all means, do your own study here. This is just something, hopefully, that will plant some seeds in your mind and then cause you to study more and seek the Lord more about how you can be able to reach one more person for Jesus in the rest of this year. The first characteristic I see in this passage of Scripture is that of congeniality. In order for us to reach people for Christ, we have to be friendly with them. And I'm not talking about superficially friendly. I'm talking about really caring about those people. Caring enough to not simply be a guy or a lady who is real initially happy to meet you, glad you're here, hope to see you again, and don't even think about that person after we meet that person. But we're in tune with the Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ, and He indicates to us, maybe this is the person that I have earmarked to come to know Christ through you. Congeniality. Look at verse 19, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all that I might win the more. Do you know, and I'm sure you saw this as we read through this passage a little earlier, that four more times in these brief verses, 19, 20, 21, 22, in those verses what we discover is four more times after this initial statement, he wants to win the more. He talks about winning, 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 winning. He's intent upon winning. Do you know the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, he who wins souls is wise? Paul undoubtedly knew that. There's no reference to this here. But he was eager to win the people because he knew that they would be people who would be used by God too to spread the gospel because Paul was not a man who simply devoted himself to preaching to people 
seeing them come to faith and then dropping them and going, looking elsewhere. He invested his life in those individuals. You know the name Luke. His name is on one of the Gospels. Also, he wrote the book of Acts. If you put those two books together, do you know that would be one-fourth, one-quarter, 25% of your New Testament written by one man to one person, the same person. The man's name is Theophilus. In the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, verse 4, this is the way in which Luke, the beloved physician, approached him, addressed him. He says this, O most excellent Theophilus. The word most excellent or the phrase before an individual's name in Roman parlance conveyed the idea that this person is a dignitary probably in the Roman government in some way. So, he was not a believer. Luke probably ran across him somewhere. Maybe Luke was a physician in the royal court even. We don't know that. He very well could have been. But nevertheless, he met this man and the Lord put on his heart to spend the time to write a whole gospel for one person. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how much research went into that and how much time and the pain that took to write? And then we come to Acts and Theophilus shows up again. And this time, Theophilus is not called most excellent in the introduction. He's just known as Theophilus. Why the change? We don't know for sure. But it's probable that the change was related to the fact that in the meantime, he'd come to Christ. He was a brother now, and the gloves were off, so to speak. He didn't have to handle him with kid gloves anymore. He was his brother in Christ. He'd been saved. Amazing. One-fourth of our New Testament written for one man. Does that spell something out for you and me? The importance of the individual in the Christian life. It's not a mass movement. It's a movement of God's Spirit through individuals to reach individuals with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the book of Colossians chapter 4, there is an appeal for congeniality in the way in which we relate to people who don't know Jesus yet. Colossians chapter 4, let's look at it. Verse 5, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. And this command, conduct yourselves, is a command which means keep on living this way with wisdom toward outsiders. Outsiders, of course, would be people who don't know Jesus yet, making the most of every opportunity. Let me share a story. It comes from the experience of one man who's a part of our church. He was 12 years old, born into a prominent family in Mexico. At the age of 12, he was sent to boarding school. It was a school that was for young men like him who came from wealthy families whose families wanted to give them the best education possible so that they too could carry on the family tradition. His story is that when he got there, he was a bit lonely He was with a bunch of boys his own age. They were older boys too. And, of course, the older boys picked on the younger boys. But in their grade, which would be about the seventh grade, most of these boys were 
good-looking boys. They were intelligent young men. They were athletic. They were cool. There was one kid, though, that stood out. He was none of the above. He was described by this brother who tells the story as being pimply-faced, kind of geeky. His clothes didn't fit too well, and they didn't match. He didn't know how to match his clothes very well. And he was just kind of a nerd before there was such a word. He was a nerd. But this brother in our church told me, he said there was something different about him. I had come, the brother who tells the story, I had come from a family that was just nominally Catholic. There was really no religion in our family. And I didn't even give God the time of day. And so I came to this guy and I said, what is there about you that when you're picked on, you don't behave like the rest of us when we're picked on. You don't curse people out. You just have this perpetual smile on your face. What is it about you? And he says, it's Jesus Christ in my life, he said. This is a 12-year-old at boarding school, 12 years old. And so this brother's story goes. He gave his life to Christ through the witness of this peer, 12 years old. There's a young man who was congenial. Never underestimate the importance of friendliness. Is Jesus friendly? Especially a friend to sinners? Yes. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ laid down his life for you individually. He died for me. Remember Paul's testimony? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who did what? Loved me and gave Himself for me. The Lord loves you. And He wants to love people through you. This is how we spread the gospel. By being congenial, like Paul was. People might say, well, Paul was just sort of a gruff, rough guy. He may come across that way, but he was tender-hearted under that, undoubtedly. He would weep over his brothers and sisters in Christ. who, And over his own people, he would weep, his people being the Jews. He would weep over them. He even said, if I could, I would take their damnation for them. That's not a guy who's indifferent. That's a guy who really is a friend to other people. And we're to imitate Paul as Paul imitates Christ, both of whom are congenial. Here's the second quality, humility. Look at verse 19 again. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all that I might win the more. What does Paul say? I'm making myself a slave to all. Do you know what is necessary for you to have the capacity to make yourself a slave to an unbelieving person? There's only one answer to that question. You first have to do what Paul did. His favorite way of introducing himself to churches when he would write to them was, I am a bond servant of Christ Jesus, which simply means I'm a slave of Christ. Until we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus, we will never be able to be humble and be willing to humble ourselves in relationships with people so that we might be 
a means to the end of their coming to know Jesus Christ. Humility. I'll never forget reading the story about a woman in Korea. She lived in a huge high-rise apartment building over 20 stories high. She knows Jesus. Her pastor encourages her to do basically what I'm seeking to encourage you to do through the Word of God, by the Spirit of God today, to begin to look for people who don't know the Lord and just befriend them and reach out to them and love them. But in this high-rise apartment context, people were not real friendly with each other. And they were a little wary if you would come up to them cold turkey and begin to talk to them. She was confused, Lord. What can I do? And all of a sudden, she had the idea, and she didn't know if it was from God or not, but she was going to test it out. She noticed every Saturday, particularly the women, would ride the elevators up and down because they were going to do shopping for the family. So she said, I'm going to spend next Saturday riding the elevator up and down. What a way to spend a Saturday, right? I'm going to listen and see what's going on in these ladies' lives. And she overheard one woman talking about how there was a problem in her apartment, and they had called the owner or the manager of the apartment, and there had been no response. It was a leak, and it had become almost a flood there. And she said, my husband does not know how to fix it. We don't know how to fix it. And it's a mess. And she was complaining. And so this Christian lady came, and she said, Excuse me, may I interrupt your conversation? And the lady looked at her and said, Why? She says, Well, my husband is a plumber. And I believe if I asked him, he would come and repair that for you. Would you mind if he would do that for you today? She said, What time? (laughs) And so, as her husband came and humbled himself, as she had, to begin to fix this, she began to befriend this lady, talk to her, learn about her. And they became friends. And that woman came to know Christ. And through her, many more in the complex came to know Jesus. There was a revival in that high-rise which encompassed hundreds of families in that high-rise apartment building. It's all because she volunteered her husband to humble himself that day. <laughs> Well, thank God he was a Christian too, right? (laughs) Humility. Congeniality, humility. Here's the last thing, adaptability. Let's read beginning in verse 20. And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. We know Paul calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. As regarding legalistic righteousness, he says in Philippians 3, I was perfect. I was at the top of my graduating class in rabbi school when I sat under the teaching of the great Rabbi Gamaliel in Jerusalem. I mean, that was this man's pre-Christian testimony. But he was no longer, he was still of Jewish extraction, but he knew he was in Christ. And he was no longer under the law of Moses. Those things that are pertaining to ethics, yes, but all the additional laws that The rabbis for over 20 centuries had put together and laid on these people heavy burdens. And he had been at the forefront of that, but no more. He says, I have become as a Jew that I might win those who are under the law. 
namely Jews. To those who are without law, verse 21, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. What's that? That sounds like a lot of double talk, doesn't it? Well, if you read Romans 2, you'll find the answer. That people who don't know Christ are of Christ because they're what we would call pagans, but they're Gentiles. They don't know Christ through the Scriptures, but in their hearts there's the presence of knowledge. It's built into every human being. You cannot go to any culture in the world, even the most primitive culture. We could not go there. We would find some commonality in terms of what's ethically acceptable and what's not. Why? It's because we're all created in the image of God. It's marred by sin. But he says to these people who are not monotheistic, they're polytheistic, I want to be able to relate to them, not compromising. Now, look, Paul was not a chameleon. He was no compromiser. But he had become all things to all people without compromising the tenets of the Scripture, the Gospel message, in order that he might win some to Christ. Look at verse 21. To those, excuse me, 22. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men that I may be by all means able to save some. That's adaptability, isn't it? We have to be flexible to win people to Christ. That's not easy for some in the room because of your temperament. All the more reason for God to use you. If you're not naturally inclined to congeniality or humility, praise God for that because there will be no doubt when He uses you to reach someone for Christ, it won't be you involved in it. It will be the Holy Spirit using you. Let's look at the steps to take to win one person to Christ by the end of this year. Remembering, we can't force anyone's hand. We can't even force God's hand. But I believe the Lord would want to use you and me to begin to build a relationship and lead someone to Christ. The first is, be different from the world. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies to God as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Present myself, my person, my body to the Lord as a living sacrifice. Die to Mike Woods so that the Lord might use me to die to my own laziness, to die to my own desire for privacy. Die to all that so that God might use me. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be a man or a woman who wants to be used by God. And we go to be trained by God by reading the Bible. You don't have to go to seminary or Bible college. You don't even have to have a college degree. If you can read, you can read the Bible and the Holy Spirit will teach you. He will give you the mind of Christ and He will help you. Here's the second thing. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, this whole idea of being filled with the Spirit is much misunderstood. It's so mystical, and we think there are weird things associated with being filled with the Spirit. We're wrong on all counts. Being filled with the Spirit means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's what it means. And we will be like the Spirit of God. We'll be loving and joyful and peaceful and kind and gentle 
and good. We'll be self-controlled. We'll be people who are different. Remember, we're to be different from the world. We'll be different and that will be so attractive to people who are accustomed to other people seeking to use them to get something from them. We're not here to get anything from anybody. Are we? We're here to give it away. Give love away. The love of God which has been shed abroad in our hearts. Acts 1.8 Jesus says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be My witnesses. Where does the power for witness come? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When you have the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You have Him if you know Christ. But you may not be controlled by Him. So prayerfully take this before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't really understand what it means to be filled. But I know I'm told to. And I know there's a direct relationship between my being filled with the Spirit and my being used to reach other people for Jesus. So for your sake, Lord, and for the others' sake, please fill me with your Spirit. The third thing is be prayerful, asking the Lord to show you who your one is. If you start thinking this way, He will show you. The Bible says, pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. This does not mean I stay in my prayer closet 24-7. That's not what it means. I don't go to a monastery. What it means, as I walk through life, God gives me opportunity to commune with Him throughout the day. Pray. So pray, Lord, help me to understand who it is that You might use me to reach for Jesus this year. And lastly, be prepared to share the gospel. The Bible says, be ready in season and out of season. And the gospel, that may sound preachy to you or mysterious to you, is pretty simple. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, the Scripture says, This is the gospel. Christ died for your sins, according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He was raised again according to the Scriptures. Is that hard to understand? Be prepared. We will help you get prepared here. If you want to be prepared, we will help you. It's easy to learn a way to help someone once you've built a relationship with her or him. Once you've loved her or Him, once you've humbled yourself before the Lord in helping those people, then the Lord will use you. It's just a real short step once you have built that bridge of relationship which is selfless and like Christ to that person. The Bible says in Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. That covers all of us. The power of the gospel, sharing the love of God, the cross of Christ. This season of the year, there's no better season for us to make that kind of commitment. Would you bow your head? I believe there's probably a lot of folks here today who would want to be used by the Lord in this coming year. We've got ten months for all practical purposes. 
to watch the Lord use us. I believe God will do this. I'm asking Him to do it in my life, and I'm asking Him to do it in your lives. Would you just say, Lord, help me to be different from the world. Lord, fill me with Your Spirit. Lord, help me to be in tune with You, praying throughout the day for opportunities to see that person You would have me to introduce to You. And lastly, Lord, I'm just asking You to empower me to be prepared to share the Gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.